So Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, reading all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. Please give your attention as God's word is read in your hearing. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also who swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice He has invited his guests. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like the dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Thus far, the reading of God's holy inspired word. 
What a cheerful passage, huh? Like, well, are you going to depress us today, Pastor? Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, so, as we mentioned earlier, we are starting a new series through the book of Zephaniah. Uh, just a little bit of background, because it's hard to read some of these prophets. Sometimes they give you a bit of a historical background. They tell you sometimes the days in which they minister. But you need to know a little bit of background about the context in which Zephaniah is ministering. Uh, this is a period in the days of God's people that are very dark and very uh, lost, if you will. Okay? This is during the time of the divided kingdom. Uh, Israel and Judah are no longer a united kingdom. As we see here, Zephaniah uh, ministers in the days of Josiah. And if you're familiar with um, the kings of Judah, Josiah is one of the last kings. There's a couple that come after him, but he is the last good king. He is the last good king. His reign was from the years 640 B.C. to the year 609 B.C. And uh, if you know about uh, the history of the people of Judah, Judah is eventually conquered and deported and exiled in the year 586 B.C. So we're just a few decades before that exile in the years of King Josiah. That's when Zephaniah ministers in the years of King Josiah. Now, if you look at verse 1, you see here Zephaniah, unlike uh, many other of the minor prophets or many of the prophets at all, he gives sort of a four-generation genealogy of himself. He is the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Uh, no other prophet gives four generations of his lineage to identify himself. And, and that last name there, Hezekiah, is very important because it is believed that Zephaniah may be part of the royal family, though not in the descent uh, not in the line of descent, uh, that he is uh, a, a, a relative of King Hezekiah of Judah, which would have been the last good king before Josiah. Uh, Hezekiah was the one who reinstituted the Passover celebration. But Hezekiah also fell to his own pride as he uh, succumbs to uh, leprosy at the end of his, his reign. And when he dies, he, his son takes over. His son is Manasseh, and Manasseh reigns for quite a while. Manasseh is an incredibly wicked king, an incredibly wicked king. And it's believed that Zephaniah was born during the life of, uh, in the reign of Manasseh, that that's the period of time in which Zephaniah is born, and that's the period of time in which he is raised, and that is the period of time in the people of God in which they are steeped in idolatry. If you read through the book of Second uh, Kings, Second Kings twenty one talks about Manasseh and it talks about how he reversed everything that his father had done, that he had reestablished the high places that were t torn down, that he reestablished Baal worship, that he reestablished the worship of 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 uh, Milcom and the the and 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 other gods, that he reestablished the worship of. Uh, the, the heavenly bodies, which is why you get that reference uh, later on about uh, worshiping the stars on the hilltop, the hosts of heaven. He, he reinstituted uh, re uh, worship of, of the heavenly bodies and such. Manasseh was an evil king. 
And then he dies, and then his son Amon takes, takes over. He only reigns for two years, and then he dies, and then Josiah, the boy king, takes over at the age, at, at the age of eight. And Josiah, uh, one, one of the things that Josiah is known for is as he is rebuilding the temple, they discover the book of the law. They discover what is believed to be the, the Torah, if you will, the book of Deuteronomy. And when Josiah reads it, he is, he is cut to the quick and he reinstitutes the worship of God's people. And it is a time of great reformation in uh, the time of God's people, but it's not long lived. It is during that period of time that Zephaniah ministers to the people of God. It is believed that Zephaniah may have ministered before the reforms of Josiah. Which may, then you could say that perhaps it is Zephaniah's uh, ministry that then prompts Josiah to uh, reform worship. Some believe that perhaps that Zephaniah prophesied after the reforms. In, in other words, indicating that though Josiah brought these godly reforms into the people of, of Israel, the people of Judah, that they were too far gone, that they were too far steeped in idolatry. Either way, this is the period of time in which Zephaniah ministers. He ministers during the days of Josiah, a good king, but coming out of decades of idolatry and wickedness. But during this time, the prophecy of Zephaniah, as we just read the opening chapter, Zephaniah comes and he declares this coming day of the Lord. This coming day of the Lord in which the Lord is going to visit judgment on his people. It is a day of judgment. But as we saw at the end of the passage in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, there is hope held out to those who are repentant. So the theme for this morning's message is that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of God's judgment is coming. But hope is held out to those who recognize their sin and seek the Lord in humility. So we're going to look at this passage in five parts here. You've got first is the announcement. The announcement of the destruction. The announcement of the judgment that is coming in verses 2 through 6. Where there again we see, I will utterly consume everything. So think of that as the first words out of the prophet's mouth, right? Uh, here comes Zephaniah, I'm the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord, I will utterly consume everything. Everything I will utterly consume from the face of the land, says the Lord. No you know, no lead up to that. No, like, I'm going to build up to the utter destruction. No, the first words uttered out of the prophet's mouth. I will utterly consume everything. Other translations say, I will sweep away everything. I will consume men and beasts. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. He announces this word of the Lord, this, this, this word of judgment that is coming, a word of utter judgment. Three times I will consume, I will sweep away, I will remove. It is a word of complete judgment. It is to bring the picture that the Lord is fed up with the idolatry of his people. He is fed up with 
his people who have forsaken his ways, who have broken his covenant. We oftentimes talked about the prophets as covenant prosecutors of the Lord. Right, the, the people of Israel entered into a covenant with God when he delivers them out of the land of Egypt, brings them to the land of Canaan, and at the foot of Mount Sinai, before they enter into Canaan, God makes a covenant with them. And in that covenant, he promises blessing upon the people of the Lord if they will obey the covenant. But then he also promises curses if they disobey the covenant. And we see... If you know anything of the history of Israel in the Old Testament, they enter the land and immediately they begin to fall away. And then God God sends judges to, to bring them back. And then God sends prophets to bring them back. The prophets come as, if you will, a prosecutor of the covenant. They come to warn that the covenant curses are coming if you do not change your ways. So Zephaniah comes as a covenant prosecutor and he is promising complete and utter judgment against Israel's enemies? No, against Israel herself, against his people herself. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, verse 4, and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Judgment is coming at the doorstep of God's people. And notice too, in verses 2 and 3 again, this utter consummation, this utter consuming of everything. Notice it's, in a sense, sort of a decreation. If you think of how creation is laid out in Genesis 1, right? He, com- he uh, creates uh, the sea, the fish, the birds, and then man. And notice how it's kind of like rolling back. I will consume man. I will consume beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. It's as if creation is rolling back. It is a very graphic description of judgment here and why is judgment coming why is judgment coming because of the stumbling blocks Uh, think of stumbling blocks as idols right Uh, the the idols that they they uh, got involved in Uh, i will cut off the wicked from the land i will i will stretch out my hand against judah and jerusalem i will cut off every trace of baal from this place I will cut off the names of idolatrous priests, pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on their housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but then also by Milcom or Molech. So God is bringing judgment upon his people because they have forgotten their way. They, 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 they have uh, turned to idols. They've turned to false gods. They turn to worshiping the hosts of heaven. Again, if you think about creation and the way that God lays out creation story in Genesis 1, the whole point of that story is to show that it is God who called these things into being, right? They are coming out of Egypt. And what did Egypt worship? Well, they worship pretty much everything you saw, right? Sun, moon, stars, and everything. And God is saying, I made the sun. I made the moon. I made the stars. They are not gods. I am the one who called them into being. Yet now we see the people of Judah stumbling over Baal worship, stumbling over uh, worshiping the stars, stumbling over pagan priests, stumbling also over foreign gods such as Milcom or Molech, an Ammonite god. 
They have turned back from the Lord. They have not sought the Lord. They have not inquired of the Lord. They have abandoned God. And now God is bringing his prophet to say to them, you abandoned me, now I am going to abandon you. Again, this is a dark point in the history of Judah. They are coming out of a period of time in which wicked kings have have, uh, introduced all kinds of pagan worship. The king was supposed to be the one who would lead the people in righteousness. Right? If you think about the covenant that God makes with David, he says, I will establish your throne forever. If you follow my law, then it will go well for the people of the land. And it sort of, you know, the entire old covenant sort of centers on the king. So as the king goes, so goes the land. Well, here we see wicked kings leading the people into further wickedness and idolatry. And they led the people into gross idolatry. The Lord here is raising up a prophet to announce a coming judgment that if you do not amend your ways, this complete reversal, this utter consuming, this sweeping away will take place. So that is the announcement of the judgment. Here we see the judgment, the actual judgment in verses 7 through 9. Where here the Lord says, Be silent. Amid the rampant apostasy and gross idolatry that was going on in those days, uh, the covenant people of God, the prophet here, commands silence in the presence of the Lord. Cease your revelries. Cease your idolatries. Be silent. Stop the noise of your false worship. And be silent before the Lord God, before the sovereign Jehovah Lord God, you've got the word God there capitalized. That is the covenant name, Jehovah. And Lord is the Hebrew word Adonai, the Lord God, the, the master, the sovereign, the, the true king. Be silent in my presence. Why? For the day of the Lord, the Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord is at hand. It is near. It is, it is coming close. It is imminent. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests. The day of the Lord is, again, it's a day of God's visitation. And it's usually a visitation that is not good. (laughs) Uh, Think of the day of the Lord is in the days of Noah. Right? The day of the Lord, a day of the Lord judgment came in the days of Noah. Why? Because the wickedness of the land grew to the point where, as God says in Genesis 6, every thought and the intentions of man's heart was always evil all the time. The days of Noah, imagine as the rains began to fall, as the earth began to shake. Imagine what it would have been like in, the, in living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah where the, the fires of heaven began to rain down. Revelry, idolatry, pagan practices all cease when the Lord God speaks. And the day of the Lord is nigh, it is at hand. The day in which the Lord will vindicate himself from his enemies and he will cleanse the earth, if you will, from all wickedness and idolatry. Now, unfortunately, in this case, God's enemies are his own people. 
right? This day is coming out against Judah and Jerusalem. It's, if you turn to the left in the Old Testament, if you go to the book of Amos, chapter 5, it's to the left of Zephaniah, a few books. Amos, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. The people of Israel often thought the day of the Lord was the day of their vindication. They thought the Lord would come and destroy their enemies. And it's true, the Lord will come and destroy his enemies and the enemies of his people, but he's also going to clean house first. Right? And here the prophet Amos in chapter 5, verse 18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. See, the people of God in those days... And, and, and Amos is prophesying about 100 years earlier than Zephaniah is. He is saying that the people of God in those days were welcoming the day of the Lord. Yes, let the day of the Lord come and destroy our enemies. And here the prophet says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is that day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is, not, is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I love the imagery there in verse 19. You know, you're running away from a lion and you turn the corner, okay, I've escaped the lion and there's a bear waiting for you, right? Or you hide in your house like, okay, I'm safe in my house. And there, a snake bites you. It's like, you know, the old saying, out of the frying pan and into the fire, right? You know, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. The people thought the day of the Lord was something good, and the Lord is like, no, it is not good. The day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming to you first. Peter says, judgment comes, and it comes first to the household of God. And note there, in verse 7, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has invited his guests who is the sacrifice? Who is the sacrifice? Well, the sacrifice is his own people. And who are the guests? It's going to be the instrument of God's judgment. In this case, the Babylonians, right? As we said, this is right before, uh, a couple of decades before the time that the Babylonians come and conquer uh, Judah and take away the people of Judah. So here the Lord is announcing the day of the Lord is coming. It's going to be a sacrifice of you and my, I'm inviting my guest to come to use, that I'm going to use, the people that I'm going to use to punish you. It's very reminiscent of, of the prophet Habakkuk, which is the prophet right before Zephaniah, where Habakkuk cries out to the Lord to, to show himself. And he says, I will show myself. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6, Indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. The, the prophet calls for the Lord to show himself strong in his people, and the Lord says, I will show myself strong. I'm going to bring a foreign nation to bring judgment on my people. To which Habakkuk's like, that's not what I had in mind when I asked for you to show yourself strong. The Lord is preparing his sacrifice. The guests he, inviting, he is inviting are those who will bring, he will bring to punish his people. And notice when the day of the Lord comes, it will come at the highest levels. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's children, the highest levels, from 
kings all the way on down. And all such as are clothed with foreign apparel, those who have, who have so clothed themselves with the, the clothing of foreign nations. In the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold. Some believe that is some, a foreign practice in which, uh, you know, it's like some kind of pagan practice to leap over the threshold who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Judgment is coming. It is going to begin at the very highest places because of their syncretism. Syncretism is a word that means you're mixing and matching foreign religion into your own religion. And that's what they were doing here. Mixing uh, Baal worship, uh, uh, mixing Molech worship into the worship of Yahweh because of their idolatrous practices. The Lord's people wanted to hasten the day of the Lord because they thought it would mean their deliverance, yet it was their doom. The Lord does not reward covenant breakers. This is kind of reminiscent of what you see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. The ladies, we went through this. When John is baptizing people for, again, in the sense of day of the Lord coming, right? The Lord is coming. The kingdom of God is near. It is at hand. And when the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to the baptism, John says to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to come from the wrath that is coming? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and don't think because of your heritage and because of your pedigree that you're going to escape the coming judgment. Well then in verses 10 through 13 we see now the aftermath. So the judgment is coming. The announcement is there. We see what that judgment is and now we see what the aftermath of that judgment will be. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry, a wailing um, wailing, mourning will come out. A mourning cry, a wailing cry, a loud crashing, the sounds of sorrow and distress, calamity in a word. This is a picture of judgment, a picture of terrible judgment. Uh, Commerce and daily activity are cut off. Verse 11, wail you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down and those who handle money are cut off. Everything that is built up, none will escape this day of the wrath, right? Look at verse 12. And it shall come to pass in that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency. You know, it's like a picture of the Lord. It's like if you think you can hide from the Lord on the day of the Lord, he's going to take a lamp and he's going to search through the streets and he's going to find those who are complacent. Those are the ones who say in their heart, well, the Lord, he's not going to do good. He's not going to do evil. The Lord is not going to act. That's what the complacents say. The Lord is not going to act. He's not going to do anything. Let's just continue living the way we live and the Lord is going to search them out and He's going to punish them. And their goods then, everything that the people of God have built up will become plunder for the nations. Again, think Babylon. What did Babylon do when they conquered Judah? They took away the best of the land. They took away all of the treasure in the temple. They took away all the treasure in the king's palace. This is exactly what the Lord promised would happen in his covenant curses in Deuteronomy 28, verse 30. There, the Lord says, You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. 
You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. That's exactly what we see in verse 13. Your goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The Lord promised covenant curses on His people, and those covenant curses are about to come to pass. Why? Because the people have abandoned the Lord. The people have sought after other gods. The people have committed spiritual adultery. Now we see the warning. So we see what the effects of that judgment will be if they do not change the ways. And then we see again the warning, verses 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It hastens quickly. The noise of that day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Zephaniah returns again to the nearness, the imminentness of the day of the Lord. It is in a a final warning to the people of Judah. This day of the Lord where the covenant curses are coming upon you, it is coming, it is near. Note the despair and the gloom of the day of the Lord described in verses 15 and 16. It's reminiscent of what we see in the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 2. Here, the day of the Lord is trouble and distress. It is a day of darkness. It is a day of devastation. It is a day of gloominess. Keep your finger here and turn, please, to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, and specifically verses 16 through 20. Exodus 19, this is the the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've they've just uh, been delivered out of Egypt. They've just crossed the wilderness. They just approached the foot of Mount Sinai, and they're about to receive the law. And they're told that the Lord would meet them on the mountain and that they are to consecrate themselves. And then in chapter 19, verse 16, we see, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered, by, uh, answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses, called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. You see that imagery of God descending upon Mount Sinai. Darkness, clouds, fire, lightning, trembling of the earth. And you get a similar thing here as the day of the Lord comes. You hear the trumpets 
and the alarm and the, the, the devastation and the darkness and the clouds. Just as the Lord appeared in fearsome majesty on the day that he makes the covenant, the Lord is again going to appear in fearful majesty as he executes the terms of that covenant. The day of the Lord will return in an equally frightening way. Nothing will avail the people on that day, on that great and terrible day, as the covenant curses are enforced. Verse 17, I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. That's very similar to what we see in Deuteronomy 28, verses 28 and 29. And in verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver. You're not going to be able to buy your way out of this. You can't buy your way out of the Lord's wrath. All the money you've accumulated is going to do you nothing on the day of the Lord. Right? They boast. As Jeremiah says, if you're going to boast in anything, boast in this, that you know the Lord. But here they boast, and their boast is going to do them no good. The warning. But what possible hope can there be for the day of the Lord when the day of the Lord comes upon the people? That's what we see in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. The hope. The prophet announces a great and terrible day of the Lord in which it's going to be like a rolling back of creation. A great and terrible day in which he's going to bring to justice all of the iniquity of the people, their false worship, their, their idolatry, their spiritual whoredom. He's going to offer them up as a sacrifice. All their goods are going to be plundered by a foreign nation. It's going to be like, it's going to be like the Lord ascending on Mount Sinai this time to bring the curses. What is their hope? It is to seek the Lord. It is to seek the Lord in verses 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together. Gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, there's still a window here. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, what should you do? Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Even at this late date, there's still time to avert the oncoming disaster as the prophet calls on the people to gather together and to hear this call of repentance. As we will see in the next section that we look at, there is a remnant of the people. Right? There's always been a remnant of God's people. And here he calls on this remnant to come. Again, we see a similar call in Joel's prophecy. Seek the Lord before his anger is unleashed. God will never turn away the penitent and humble in heart. Rather, as we see here, he will hide him in the day of the Lord's anger. They will be hidden. I think of Proverbs 18 that says that the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. The day of the Lord is real, beloved. The day of the Lord is real. Sorry to be Debbie Downer here and rain on your... Sunday parade, but the day of the Lord is real. 
Here, the prophet is bringing an announcement, and, and though, as some scholars believe, this may have led and been the prompt to Josiah's reforms, and there was a great reformation in the worship of the people, it did not last. It did not last. And the Lord did bring judgment upon his people. He did bring the Babylonians in, and they did conquer the last remnant of God's people. The day of the Lord is real. And this is just a preview of coming attractions. What the day of the Lord here is to the people of Israel, we see that there is a further day of the Lord yet to come. Now, we tend to think because we've lived in relative peace and harmony for so long that the day of the Lord is not coming. But even the Apostle Paul warns us to not uh, take advantage and to treat badly the Lord's patience, to not uh, despise his patience. When Paul is proclaiming the law in Romans 1, 2, and 3, he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? Do you despise the Lord's patience, the Lord's forbearance? Why? Not knowing that the goodness of the Lord leads you to repentance. This day is just as we see here in Zephaniah, right? As the prophet at the end says, it's coming, but there's still time if you seek the Lord, if you seek Him and turn to Him and repent of your ways. Paul is calling this out in Romans 2. He's like, the day of the Lord is coming, right? He says in Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of, the heaven, wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against your ungodliness. Do not despise the Lord's goodness as he, His patience is meant, what? To lead you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That's Paul in Romans 2, verse 5. If you despise the Lord's patience, that wrath you think is not coming, is coming. It's being stored up behind a dam of God's patience. But that dam will not hold back that wrath forever. God's patience will come to an end. He's long-suffering, but the Lord is not infinite suffering. Okay, The Lord is long-suffering. He is not infinite suffering. The Apostle Peter writes, and if you will, please turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. As we close this, 2 Peter chapter 3. Even in the days of Peter, there were scoffers. And there's been scoffers ever since. People who look and walk in their lives and say, the day of the Lord is not coming. The day of the Lord is not coming. And the, Peter says something very different in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Beloved, I now write you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, including Zephaniah, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is not coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out in water and in the water, that's Noah's judgment, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are, preserved, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that, the day, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The day of the Lord will come, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holiness, in holy conduct and godliness? And so on. So in other words, here Peter is saying, the day of the Lord is coming, but people scoff. People scoff. But it is coming. We are living on borrowed time. The day of the Lord is coming. But the good news is that the day of the Lord came for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That day of the Lord came upon Calvary. Because what happened on Calvary, there was darkness and gloom. There was a shaking of the earth. There was great trembling and fear as the Lord's wrath was poured out. The day of the Lord did fall upon His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. So you can either put your trust in Christ and receive the protection that He provides on the day of the Lord, or you can face the day of the Lord in your own works. But I love the promise that we see in Colossians 3, 3 and 4, where there Paul says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you remember back in Zephaniah 2, verse 3, seek the Lord. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. If you want to be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger, find yourself in Christ. Find yourself hidden in Christ by faith, recognizing that Christ took the punishment that we deserved, that He suffered the day of the Lord for us. And what we see here before us at this table is a reminder of the fact that He suffered the day of the Lord for us. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ took our punishment upon Himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is with deep concern that we see here in the prophet Zephaniah the announcement of the day of the Lord, and it seems gloomy and dark and, and depressing, and it ought to be. It ought to shake our hearts and, and shake us out of our complacency, O Lord, that we live so comfortably in your grace. We don't realize that a day of the Lord is coming what was prophesied in the days of Zephaniah and came about just a few short decades later is just a preview of what will come at the end of this age. And Lord, I pray for any who are not found hidden in Christ that they will turn now while the Lord is showing His patience and long-suffering. That they will repent of their sins and turn to Christ in faith so that they too will be hidden in God, in Christ Jesus. 
covered with his righteousness, having their sins atoned for by Jesus who took the day of the Lord for his people. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who are in Christ will recognize, and as Peter says, how ought we to live? We ought to live in holiness and godliness and holy conduct because we know that the wrath of God has been poured out for us in Jesus Christ. Now as we get ready, Lord, to recognize the Lord's Supper, we pray, O Lord, that you will continue to impress these truths upon us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.